welcome. I know I'm not Deborah or Daniel, but I am supposed to be here because I was asked to be here. We are going to continue in the Gospel of John, and we are in chapter 3. <clears throat> That's page 1222, John chapter 3. I need to, uh, there's a little disclaimer. I have two favorite books in the Bible. The Gospel of John is one of them, and the Book of Romans. Truly, it really is two of my favorite books, because we've heard Deborah say she has a number of favorite books in the Bible. Um, however, that being said, whatever we are in and studying, my, my appreciation for the Book of Amos has just soared here recently. It's, it's a book I've never really studied as we have uh, just recently, and so... Uh, God bless this uh, church for hearing and listening uh, from him and teaching me to, to listen and to follow. So we have looked at the Gospel of John several times thus far, and John loves the number seven. There are, throughout the book, seven major signs that Jesus does, and all of them with a purpose, right? Right? In the very first chapter, we're going to see as Jesus is introduced to his followers and to these, these new people, they give him a title. John the baptizer says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in verse 34 of chapter 1, I have seen and testified, this is the Son of God. Look down at verse 38, Rabbi. Translate, which is translated uh, teacher. And then verse 41, he is the Messiah. We found the Messiah, which is also translated as Christ. Verse 45, this is who the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 49, Nathanael answered, and he said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then in the very last verse of chapter 1, Jesus himself gives, him, uh, gives a title. Uh, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. One of his favorite titles that he gives to himself. There's a whole study behind the Son of Man going back to Ezekiel. However, <clears throat> we have the, <laughs> the blessing to be able to skip over to the end of the story. So real quickly, we've done this before. Let's do it again. John chapter 20. Turn over to page 1250 if you're in the, the, the church Bible. This is why John wrote. <clears throat> I love John because he uses a very simple, uh, a basic Greek language for writing this. Years ago when I was studying Greek, this is where we started with John's writings, particularly 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Basic language, but some of the most profound lessons that you will ever see in the scriptures. And so John, I love this, that he makes it so plain. This is why I wrote. Not every book of the Bible will have it as plainly as John states it. We get to the end of this story, and here's his purpose. This is why he wrote, so that we would believe, so that we would believe. Jesus showed up after his resurrection to all of the disciples save one, Thomas. He wasn't there. 
The 11 were so excited and they told Thomas, Thomas, we saw the Lord. He's returned. He came back. No. Uh, Thomas said, no, I don't think so. He doubted. And he actually said, unless I put my fingers on those nail prints, and unless I put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. So we can pick it up at verse 27 of chapter 20. And then he said to Thomas, Jesus says to Thomas, reach here or reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. That's why John wrote so that we can come to the end of the story without a single doubt and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. As we continue through the gospel, I hope we are going to have time to do a study on the life that Jesus came to bring. Just looking in, the, in John's writings and then uh, later bringing in the rest of the, of the Bible. But going back to chapter 3, where we're picking it up, verse 1, John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit his spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. We just watched Nicodemus have his mind blown because this is so foreign to what he has learned and what he has taught. This man, Nicodemus, it says, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. Don't, 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 don't miss the details that John gives us. I, I so much appreciate Daniel, the previous lesson from, from John chapter 2, verses 22, 23, 24, 25. And he taught us, Jesus knows what is in man. 
and he did not entrust himself to man. And so picking up on that introduction to this part of the lesson, John says, there was a man, right? Verse 25, he had no need of anyone, that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. And then this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. I looked up Pharisees. You know what it means? The separated ones. The separated ones. And if we think about their history and, and how, yeah, it kind of makes sense. There was some 6,000 of them in, the, in Jesus' time. They're spread all over the Holy Land. These were the teachers in the synagogues. They were the religious examples in the eyes of the people. They also were the self-appointed guardians. Did you catch that? The self-appointed guardians of the law and of the proper observance. When it came to their regulations that were handed down and their interpretations that were by tradition, those were considered by them as authoritative, no, even more authoritative than the word of God itself. Put your marker here in John chapter 3 because we're going to come back, but turn over to to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse verse 8 on page 1160. We're going to read just a little bit of the background where this Pharisee Nicodemus comes from, his, his training, his understanding, and what they have done. These words in red are Jesus' words, Mark chapter 7. I'm going to pick it up at verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you keep your that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is Korban, that is, a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Now we're getting an idea of Nicodemus, of his background, of this man of the, of the uh, Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. If we had time to do a study of just the Jews through the Gospel of John, we're going to find the Jews were not friends of Jesus. They were his foes. They're the ones who do not believe. There's uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who's mentioned later on in this Gospel. He was a secret follower of Jesus. Why? For fear of the Jews. And so Nicodemus, leader, this word ruler can be translated leader or chief, a magistrate, official, prince, or commander. 
And you can see this, all of this in, in his background and in his attitude as he comes to, to, to ask Jesus. Well, really, he hasn't even asked a question, has he? He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Nicodemus knows what a rabbi is. He is one. He knows what a teacher is. But remember the list that we read in chapter 1? He's not the Lamb of God. He doesn't say you are the Son of God. He doesn't say you are the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. You're a teacher. And these signs you're doing, there's got to be something to that. Right? You must be from God. Doesn't really ask a question. But Jesus goes on to give him an answer. And he sees right into the heart of this man and sees what his greatest need is. It's not about the signs. What is it about, church family? If we follow John, it's about believing in him. With all that we are, that's what it's truly about. So Jesus answers and says to him, verse 3, Most assuredly, I think it's the King James that says, Verily, verily, or the New American Standard, Truly, truly, I say to you, I've underlined that word, those words in my Bible. Because what comes consistently following whenever Jesus or one of the writers say, most assuredly, I say to you, truly, truly, verily, verily, comes a bedrock truth of the gospel. And here's one of them. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus begins an introduction to being born again, or actually in my, uh, in my study Bible, and if you have one, you'll see it's, it, there's another way to translate born again. What does it say? Born from above. Born from above, or another way to, to translate it is from the top down. It is a spiritual birth that Jesus introduces here. A spiritual birth, not a physical birth. But what does Nicodemus understand? Does he understand it as born from above or born again? Verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? He knows it can't be that. that there's no way that a, you can't physically do that. That's an impossibility. An impossibility. And then Jesus answers, verse 5. Here it is again. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do you notice, verse 3, if you're not born from above, you can't see the kingdom. And then in verse 5, if you're not born from above, you cannot enter. This spiritual birth is an act of the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend some time here on this understanding. So keep John chapter 3 um, marked because we're, we're going to come back to it. But we need to get an understanding. Jesus begins to teach a little further and says, this is what born from above is about, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. I want to call him Nico for short. Unless one is born of water, and the spirit 
those are connected. If we look at the original language, it can be translated unless one is born of water and unless one is born of the spirit. They go together. You can't separate them. You can't take them apart. Some have translated this reference to being born of water as physical birth. Well, I think you're going to have trouble trying to use the rest of the scriptures that refer to water as a physical birth. Right here in in John chapter 3. Look at verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Hmm. Jesus, with his disciples, remained and baptized. What is baptism? Allowing John just to give us some details, look at verse 23. John also was baptizing in Aenon near Salim because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. This water is connected with baptism, which is a, which is a cleansing. And actually, Nicodemus should have seen and should have known. Oh, water, water for the Jews goes way, way back. A very strong, powerful symbol is found in water. This this teacher of the Jews would have remembered from uh, from Numbers chapter 19. Hold your spot here. Turn over to Numbers 19 on page 176. They had so many laws and so many regulations regarding purity and the purification laws and regarding being clean or unclean. So Numbers Chapter 19, page 176. Pick it up at verse 17. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for, pur- for purification from sin, and running water shall, put, shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, on all the vessels, on the persons who were there, or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and at evening... He shall be clean. This is regarding a Jewish person touching a dead person, one who has slain. If you're out in the field and you come upon someone who has just collapsed and died, and if you touch them, you're now unclean. This is the whole process that you would have to go through in order to be what? to be cleansed, in order to be purified, to be able to once again come before God. And so notice the water connection that is there. And so this is just one example. And there are many examples of this connection of water being a part of a cleansing. Now, go back to John chapter 3. Or 
actually, yeah, hold your spot there. I'm going to skip over. Titus chapter 3 on page 1370. Paul the Apostle is going to give us, we're going to look at several verses here. They're going to give us a bigger picture, a better understanding of what is this to be born from above? What does it mean? Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. That's not how we are made righteous. But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is a washing of regeneration. There it is. It is being born from above, being born anew, being born again. It is a spiritual event. It has nothing to do with the physical birth of man. A washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And there's the key. In order for us to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, it's the Holy Spirit that acts upon our hearts and convicts us. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, we don't have to go there, but John writes, he tells us why the enemy came. Why did the devil come? Steal and kill and destroy. And then he says, but this is why Jesus came, that we might have life abundantly. That's why Jesus came, that we might have life. And this has everything to do with being born from above. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Page 1381, Hebrews 10, and verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We physically, when we are baptized, we do physically go down into water. But our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience while our bodies are washed with pure water. First Peter, turn over to First Peter chapter 1 on page 1391. So we're going back just a little bit further, a few pages over. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. I don't want to read that too quickly. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, there it is, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. This concept, this idea is so profound, we would need hours and hours to dig down to the very depths of it. 
We don't, we don't have that, but we're just kind of getting a picture, an understanding of what it does it mean to be born from above. Ephesians chapter 4, turn back, back towards John, but not quite there. Ephesians chapter 4, four page uh, 1345. Page 1345, Ephesians 4, once again, verse 22. Ephesians 4, 22, that, that you put off concerning your former conduct and the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you see it? There is an old man that needs to die and be put to death so that we can put on the new man. There is a renewal in the spirit of your mind that must take place. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, Nico, you must be born from above. You won't be able to see it. You won't be able to enter it unless the Holy Spirit begins to work on you. Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6 is on page 1299. Once again, the Apostle Paul teaching on, on, uh, on baptism teaches us some on what it means to be born again or born from above. Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Remember the old man that we just mentioned? There is a death that needs to occur of our old man. We're baptized into Christ Jesus' death. In verse 4, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see it? The regeneration by the Holy Spirit gives us a newness of life. Verse 5, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that's what needs to happen, beloved. We need to die the old man, 
of sin must die. He must be crucified with Jesus that the body of sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. John would say, Thomas would say, my Lord, and he would now be a slave of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. The life that he lives, he lives to God. Flip over to Romans chapter 12. From chapter 7, turn a few pages over. Romans chapter 12, page 1305. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, the Apostle Paul writing this, I beg you, brothers and sisters, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the idea of being born from above. We become a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is again. There is a renewal, a regeneration that needs to happen in us, in our hearts, in our spirits, in our minds. And it is the Holy Spirit that acts upon us in order for this to be effected, in order for this to be done in us. And so we could go on and on and on, but turn back to John chapter 3. Let's pick up the story once again. <clears throat> Jesus answered in verse 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't you see, Nicodemus? We're not talking about the flesh. We're talking about a spiritual birth. Do not marvel, verse 7, that I said to you, you must be born from above or born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. Right now, where I stand, I can feel a, a cool breeze. Can you see it? You can't see it, but I can feel it. And I think I, my fingers are kind of cool right now. We can't see the wind, but we can see its effects, right? Now look at this word, if we had the original uh, a Greek language that John wrote this in, the wind comes from the word pneuma. You know what else comes from the word pneuma? 
spirit. This word pneuma can be translated wind and it also can be translated spirit. So look at what Jesus does here. The spirit blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Same root word as wind. And so if the Spirit has acted upon us. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then we're going to follow the lead of the Spirit. Are you willing to follow the Spirit even though you can't see Him? Even though you can't touch the Spirit? You can't hear His voice necessarily? Are you going to be able to follow the Spirit even though you don't know where he's going? Lord, how is this going to turn out? I don't know. But I'm going to follow. Because with all that I am, I believe that you are the Son of God. You are my Lord and my God. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Remember his mind getting blown? Well, this is the proof right here. How can these things be? This doesn't line up with anything that I've learned from the Torah or from my, from my years in the synagogue. We're expecting a Messiah, yes. He's going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to deliver us from these Romans. But what is this of which you speak, Jesus? Being born from above? How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? This, this article right before teacher, are you the teacher, definitive article are you the teacher of Israel I'm not sure who this Nicodemus was did you know only the gospel of John tells us this story of Nicodemus he's only mentioned here you're the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things look at verse 11 once again most assuredly there it is three times in this short story Jesus says I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. I wonder who Jesus is talking about when he says in the plural, we testify. He'll explain it later on. He's talking about the Father. He's talking about where he has come from. Where did he come from? From heaven up above. That's where we need to be born again or born from above. He's talking about the Father and about the witness of the Spirit. And then, when, and then he says, this is a singular, I say to you, singular, Nico, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you, plural, y'all do not receive our witness. So Jesus lumps 
Nicodemus in with who? With all of the Pharisees. With all of, for John in his gospel, with all of the Jews, you don't receive it. How are you going to be born again? Born from above, Nicodemus, if if you can't even understand these things. Jesus goes on. I'm going to let I'm going to let one of my uh, pastors pick it up from here and continue with this teaching. But I don't want to leave Nicodemus just right here because we're going to see him again. Um, <clears throat> chapter 7, verse 50. We're still in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. Verse 50, and that's it's on page 1231. John 750. Nicodemus, are you there? Are you with me? Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them. So Nicodemus is with these other rulers of the Jews. John identifies him. How? Oh, he's the one who came at night. I jumped right over the meaning of, of night, and I didn't, I didn't tell you how it, how it can be translated, or even the meaning of it here in the Gospel of John. But night, for John, that's darkness. And in the Gospel of John, darkness is evil. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the light of the world. What's the opposite of the light of the world? Darkness. That's when Nicodemus came. He came in the darkness. He came out of, was it fear? Or was it out of an evil uh, concept in his mind? Was he there to trap Jesus again? Nicodemus, being one of them, who came to them, uh, or being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, to Nicodemus, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So Nicodemus here in chapter 7 is standing up for Jesus. He's defending him and says, hey, wait a minute. Before we condemn him outright, our law says we need to hear from him first. Doesn't it say that? I see some growth in Nicodemus. He's now defending Jesus. I began to think... <clears throat> You know, was, was Nicodemus among those rulers of the Jews that wanted to be baptized by John the Baptist? Was he hearing John's preaching and being convicted of his sin? Luke would say, no, sorry, not the Pharisees. None of the Pharisees were baptized by John. They rejected the will of God for themselves. That's what Luke says. So, we're not done with Nicodemus yet. Um, chapter 19, verse 38. Page 1249. Chapter 19. 
Verse 38. Page 1249. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, which Nicodemus is this? Oh, who at first came to Jesus by night. Oh, that guy. He also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Doesn't say they did this at night. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a follower secretly, but then he walks into the very powers of government and says, excuse me, can I take his body? Doesn't sound like a secret follower to me. And Nicodemus now gets a hundred pounds of these spices and aloes. I don't know if he carried them himself or had some help, but he's walking through the middle of town to get out to the garden where Jesus is buried. I believe Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus Christ. It was difficult. It was hard for him because it's going to turn your world upside down. And you know what God showed me? In my studies of Nicodemus, God showed me, that was you. That was you, Joe. Because when this beautiful woman and I first got married some 35 years ago, I, we said, you know what? We're never going to get divorced. It's not even going to be in our idiom in our language we're not going to but then some 30 years later with our marriage just falling apart I believed it's over it was over and God led us here to this place to receive counsel from his word spiritual counsel from Deborah from Kathy from others here from Daniel Weeks and weeks and weeks go by. And I'm thinking, how can these things be? Wait a minute. I got a degree from ACU in the Bible. I was a missionary for seven years. And you're telling me? No, God's telling me. The word is convicting me that I was operating out of my flesh all that time. I did not have the Holy Spirit of God. But I came to a point just like Thomas. And I stopped and I said, Lord, you are God. And he changed me. The Holy Spirit acted upon me. I was freed from these spirits that I had. A spirit of, of uh, passivity, uh, deaf and dumb spirit, 
um, a spirit of uh, a territorial spirit. <sighs> Praise God that I was transformed, that my world was turned upside down. And I'm not going to look back ever, but I'm going to go on serving my Lord. Why did John write this gospel? He wrote it for you. He wrote it for me. That we could come to this same ending that Thomas did. My Lord and my God. Let's stand and sing.
Yeah.